Exodus chapter 4. We're going to look at just the last few verses of this passage tonight, starting at verse 27. And the Lord said to Aaron, Go into the wilderness to meet Moses. So he went and met him on the mountain of God and kissed him. So Moses told Aaron all the words of the Lord who had sent him and all the signs which he had commanded him. Then Moses and Aaron went and gathered together all the elders of the children of Israel. And Aaron spoke all the words which the Lord had spoken to Moses. Then he did the signs in the sight of the people. So the people believed. And when they heard that the Lord had visited the children of Israel and that he had looked on their affliction, then they bowed their heads and worshipped. Let's bow our heads and pray. Father, we are here to bow our heads in worship. Lord, make us sensitive to this sequence that runs from the announcement of good news right through to a response in worship. Father, wean our hearts from idols. Don't let us worship stuff, status, wealth, human relationships, or any of the other false gods we so quickly, easily, and by our fallen nature naturally turn to. Instead, Father, help us to listen to the good news that you have delivered us. And to be so full of that good news that we can't help but bow in worship. We pray these things, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, our passage this evening feels just a little bit vanilla after the climaxes of last week's section. And before that, the incredible dialogue at the burning bush that takes up a chapter and a half, maybe the longest conversation with God in the entire Bible. We have instead just these few verses that the commentators generally skate right over. Yep, Moses did what he was told. He went home, he met Aaron, he announced the good news to the people, and then, you know, chapter 5, verse 1, the story actually kicks off. Moses and Aaron go in and say, let my people go, and we're off to the races. But these verses are actually a little more important than that. They may feel vanilla. They may not have any strange passages about Moses or Zipporah circumcising her son with a flint knife. But this passage is important because of the sequence which it expresses, that God provides and that provision leads his people to worship. As one commentator noted, chapter 4 ends with God, the people, and Moses all in harmony with each other. That actually doesn't happen all that often. So for that reason alone, it's worth looking at this moment of peace, the calm, before the storm breaks in chapter 5. God provides, that's what we'll see, God provides, and when his servants announce that provision, his people ought to respond in faith and worship. God provides... When his servants announce that, his people ought to respond in faith 
and worship. First point in the text, God provides. The Lord said to Aaron, go into the wilderness to meet Moses. We talk about meeting your long lost brother, etc. Well, this is actually kind of a big deal. Today, if you want to drive from Cairo to Mount Sinai, Google informs me that it'll take five and a half hours. Well, Mount Sinai is not just in Egypt's backyard. If it would take five and a half hours by car, that's a journey that you would think twice before you made it. Well, imagine how long it would take on foot or perhaps on donkey back, but Aaron hears this word from God, go out, like way out, into the desert, many days travel away, and there you'll see your long-lost brother. This meeting with Aaron, in human terms, is ridiculously improbable. Moses runs into Aaron at the mountain of God at a place where neither of them had been together, well, where they hadn't been together, where Aaron presumably had never been before, and yet here they meet each other. What is God saying? He's saying, Moses, I can make the improbable happen. You needed somebody to speak for you? Here he is. Yes, it's a long way from where he lives. Doesn't matter. I can put him right where I want him. The passage challenges us to have faith in God in areas where we've never experienced his provision. I can easily trust that God will provide my salary through this church. He's done it for five years. It's pretty easy to trust that he will continue to do it. But what about an area where you've Never seen God act. Some new experience, new situation, new phenomenon. Can you trust God there? God, I've never seen you bring my brother out to the middle of nowhere to meet me at a location that I'm sure my brother knows nothing about. I don't know if you can do this, Lord. But God could do it, and he did do it. God not only brought Aaron to Mount Sinai, thus keeping his promise from verse 14, Aaron is your brother, I'll bring him to meet you. But God also brings brothers together. Seems like an obvious point. And yet, again, how many famous ministry duos are composed of two brothers? The list is vanishingly small. John and Charles Wesley. But I've never heard of a church that was pastored by two brothers. I've never seen, certainly the scripture does not contain any other brother ministry duos. There's James and John, the two sons of Zebedee, among the disciples. But James was martyred shortly after Christ's ascension, leaving John to minister on his own. In fact, Moses and Aaron are the only brother ministry duo in the Bible that spent significant time ministering together. This is odd because other fields see brothers working together all the time. 
One can think, for example, of the Russo brothers or the Cohen brothers in Hollywood making big budget spectacles. One can think of all kinds of uh, brothers in other fields in the entertainment industry or in commerce, even in politics. George Bush, governor of Texas. Jeb Bush, governor of Florida. But it's improbable to find brothers, not only both in ministry, but both in the same ministry. God can do that. And he does do it. God provides. Here's your brother, your little brother, your big brother, rather. Aaron is the big brother. He's the older one. And yet he's content to be second fiddle to Moses. Siblings, children, if you have a sibling, what if God calls you to respect your younger brother? Or to let him be better than you at something? Again, it's a question that the text is posing. Aaron had the humility to be part of a brother ministry duo where Moses is the headline figure. Nobody's ever read the five books of Aaron. Brothers don't naturally minister together. But God can make it happen because he's the God who provides. What else does God provide? He provides instruction. Verse 28, Moses told Aaron all the words of the Lord who had sent him. God didn't tell Aaron everything. God told Aaron one thing, get up and go out to Mount Sinai. Moses will tell you the rest. Why, do we, why does God do this? We've seen this pattern in Revelation, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants the things which must shortly take place. We have the Father giving the revelation to the Son, and then the next verse, he sent and signified it by his angel to John. The Father gives the revelation to the Son, who gives it to the angel, who gives it to John, who gives it to the churches. Why all the steps? Why doesn't God just tell Aaron directly? Why does he send Moses to pass on the news to Aaron? It's the same reason God doesn't directly speak to the people later on in this book. It's easier to hear it from a fellow human being. When God speaks to the people, they say, stop. No, uh uh-uh, we don't like that. The other reason God gives the message to the prophet rather than directly to everybody is that the message is for the group. It's for us, and so it comes through multiple layers of us. God to Moses to Aaron Well, God, to the angel of the Lord in the bush, to Moses, to Aaron, to the people. Sounds about like the sequence in the book of Revelation. And it sounds, of course, about like the way in which all of us hear the word of God today. God inspired the biblical authors who wrote the text, which I proclaim to you. We still get our word in a mediated fashion.
So we need to focus our attention on the mediator. Throughout the Torah, the mediator is Moses, as the one who hears from God and passes it on to the people of God. Now, the mediator, the true mediator, as it was in the days of Moses, the Lord Jesus Christ. We focus our attention from him. He is the word of God. He hears from the Father and through the Spirit conveys it to us. God is essentially saying to Moses, you can, you can and will evangelize your own big brother. And if you can evangelize your own big brother, then you can evangelize Pharaoh and the rest of Israel. Evangelizing your older brother can be tricky. But do you see all the things God provided? A brother to help. A ministry duo. A message. And, of course, signs and wonders. Moses showed Aaron the signs that God had commanded him. That would be fun. Check it out, bro. Bet you can't do this. And he throws his staff down. So God's servants come to his people and announce their provision. Verse 29, Moses and Aaron went and gathered all the elders of the children of Israel. They returned to Egypt. They gather God's people. Gathering people is something that the church does. That's why restrictions on gatherings are hard for churches. That's why, of course, a church that doesn't gather indefinitely is a church that no longer exists. Moses and Aaron gathered the people and then proclaimed this truth to them. That's why the church has continued to gather in the centuries since. We are a congregation. We are people who get together and together here. The word of God. Aaron spoke all the words which the Lord had spoken to Moses. So Israel gets the briefing. They understand the entire, well, at least they get to hear the whole conversation at the burning bush. And Aaron also does the signs in the sight of the people. Now, the rest of the text makes it clear that These people didn't listen maybe quite as well as they should have. After all, God had said, Pharaoh will not let you go, no, not by a mighty hand. And many other things along those lines. And then in chapter 5, when Pharaoh doesn't let them go, the people panic and turn on Moses. But at least they heard the word of God. You know, the same thing goes for us. God has told us the Christian life is going to be hard. He's told us those who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. He's told us if you want to follow me, you need to carry around this instrument of torture and death called a cross. Take up your cross and follow me. But just like Israel with their selective audio reception who heard... God has sent a deliverer, but Pharaoh won't let you go. And then in chapter 5, when it happens, they flip out. So we today have heard, oh yes, Christians are persecuted. 
Oh yes, it's hard to be a Christian. Oh yes, the world will not approve of you following Jesus. And then when it happens, we say, what is this? Don't be like Israel and only hear the good news. We have to actually believe everything that we've heard in our briefing. So they speak the words, Moses and Aaron speak the words, and do the signs. They demonstrate the power of God. Now, why do these two things go together? The answer is, God's word and spirit always go together. The spirit is the spirit of Jesus. Christ is the word of the Father, and he brings the Father's spirit with him. That's why if somebody appears to know the word but doesn't have the power of the spirit, everything they say is pretty suspect. Because word and spirit go together, and if you only have one, you probably don't even have that one. Even today, those who speak the word should demonstrate the power. But what kind of power are we talking? The power to turn a piece of wood into a snake and back again? Is that useful for edifying the church? No, we're talking about the power to transform a human person. The power to take a sinner and turn him into a saint. Anybody who is declaring God's word to you who doesn't have that power in his own life is missing half of the equation. He might have some version of the word, but without the power, it doesn't matter. So what do I mean by having the power? Well, when you say, kids, God doesn't want mommy to be angry, so he sent his spirit to help her have patience. Would the kids believe that? Would they be able to say, Mommy, I see you being patient enough that I can believe that you have God's power making you patient. Or in any other scenario, if you tell your coworker, you know, I see you stealing pins, or I see you violating company policy in this way or that way, And I would enjoy doing that too, but I don't because I have the Holy Spirit. Would your coworker believe that? That is, is there any actual demonstration of life-transforming power that makes you a credible speaker of the words of God? That's what Moses and Aaron were doing by doing the signs in front of the people. We have the power of God, which means that we have the word of God. But somebody who says, well, I can quote scripture and then proceed to live as though none of it were true, doesn't have the power of God. If you have the words without the power, you don't really even have the words. So God provides... God's servants announce his provision in a credible way by demonstrating the power of God in their own lives. God's people respond to that in faith 
and worship. So the people believed. What did they believe? Well, they believed, first of all, that the Lord had visited the children of Israel. That's what they believed. God has been here. God knows how we live. God knows what it's like here in Egypt. Do you have that faith? Faith to know that God knows where you live and what your life is like. He's visited you. He has first-hand knowledge of the conditions of your existence. The people believed it. And we too need to believe it. That God visits. You know, Joseph had said, when I'm dead, God will visit you. Here that promise is fulfilled. The Lord had visited and he had looked on their affliction. The longer the affliction goes on, the harder it is to believe that God actually knows about it. God, if you knew how bad my pain is, how bad this condition is, how awful this evil practice of my nation is, how awful this person who's a thorn in my side is, if you knew, you wouldn't leave me here. Therefore, you don't know, or at least don't care. But God's people believed that he had visited them and that he had seen what they were going through. And when they believed, that prompted them to worship. They bowed their heads and worshiped. That's our call, to see the God who provides, to listen to the announcement of his provision, then turn around and respond to that in worship. To worship is to ascribe worth to God. It's to say, worthy is the Lamb. Worthy enough that I'm not going to look to anything else for satisfaction because the Lamb is infinitely worthy and nothing else is. Faith and worship. Those are our tasks in this moment. When deliverance has been announced but not yet consummated. We've heard the report that Jesus has come to save the world. Just like Israel had heard the report that God had visited them and come to save them. The deliverer was there but the deliverance was not complete. Same goes for us. So as we live in the time between the announcement and the fulfillment, believe and worship. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for a quiet, simple passage that nonetheless reminds us of your provision, that reminds us of the announcement of that provision, and that reminds us to believe your provision and to worship you for it. Lord, we thank you that that truth is underlined once again at the Lord's table. 
Thank you that you provide for us. Thank you that you provided yourself as a lamb for a burnt offering. For a crucifixion sacrifice. We praise you for that, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.